0: sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: When questioned about whether or not they knew they were scamming the system, many illegals replied they were aware, but that it was easy and they may as well take advantage of it. And the IRS was also aware of this problem the entire time, but did nothing to stop it.
2: This type of lawsuit, it's really exactly what President Trump predicted when he declared a national emergency earlier this week. It was filed in federal district court in San Francisco on the same day as hundreds of protests nationwide.
3: My point is that if you look at what we've already outlaid, we have 120 miles that are already under construction or already obligated. Plus the additional funds we have and that we're going to outlay, you're gonna look at a few hundred miles.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
4: Hey, 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 welcome to the program. Uh, we've been so busy, so busy trying to work out uh, details because I'm, I'm supposed to be in D.C. on Thursday and the weather is not cooperating. I've already had two flights and I'm booked into canceled. So uh, we are in flux and lots of stuff going on. Meanwhile, we are having a jam-packed program today. We're going to be chatting with two... Or, One of my favorites, Seton Motley. He's a fan favorite on the show. Uh, The audience loves to hear Seton come on. He has a booming radio voice. But he also brings us information from less government, of which he is the founder. And it is uh, just perfect for us to have a bit of a break today and discuss some other news because there are other things going on in the world. So we're going to discuss taxes. We're going to talk about, of course, the lawsuits that have been filed by, I think it's 16 states, to try to stop the president from accessing the emergency declaration. And then, of course, uh, we're going to we're going to be discussing this this issue of the um, there's it's, it's a really interesting deal with Internet access and how the government wants to get involved in that. And we've been sold a bill of goods so much so that most teenagers think if you're not for net neutrality, then, you know, you and, and it's not that these te- are bad people. These teenagers are just seeing the videos that they see. They see people that they like and respect support net neutrality But in reality, do we want the internet to be parsed out and treated like a utility where everybody gets the same level of slow service? Hmm? Or do you want to be able to pay for a little bit of extra speed? So we have to, uh, we we really have to talk to Seton about that. He'll be on this hour. And we're going to be digging into a few other issues, um, uh, (laughs) a few other issues that we have going on, um, specifically the tax changes that president Trump made to prevent illegal aliens from being able to um, rob us blind. It's not just the tax fraud that happens, which is significant and that, and, and it, how does it impact you? Do you pay taxes? If you pay taxes, then it impacts you because the money that you're paying in, you're not getting it all back, right? Your tax burden is greater than what you pay. If you get a refund back, it means you pay too much in. So, Some of the money that you're paying in is being redistributed to illegal aliens for kids that they have in Mexico or kids they don't have at all, but they say they have 15 kids in Mexico so they can claim the earned income tax credit. And for families like ours where our kids are getting older now and they're starting to phase out of that, uh, it really burns me up that someone might be claiming five kids that are illegal aliens or not even American citizens and getting $5,000 back and we have just the kids that we've claimed and we're not claiming any extra and we're getting less and less money back, but paying more and more money in. And, and that's where the rubber meets the road. So we're going to be talking about that as well. And now I want to dig into our daily confession. Matthew six thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 6 says, but you, when you pray, enter in, into your closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's pretty clear. The Bible tells us to, first of all, take our problems to God secretly, pray to God. It's a one-on-one relationship. We don't broadcast every single thing that we discuss with family members or our spouses or our children. It's the same with God. Take it to him, leave it with him and see won't he really take care of the problem in what I find is that God is so creative. He works things out for my good in ways that I'm not able to calculate. I'm not able to say, oh, you know what? I think I should do this, this, and this. And I do have some pretty good plans. In my mind, they seem like they're fantastic plans, but sometimes God says, ah, oh, yeah, you—that's that, that plan looks okay, but here's what I have, and it's so much better. And I always end up being so grateful that I'm able to uh, see things through after I've prayed over them to see what God has for me, in answering prayer. And he'll do the same for all of us. Um, none of us are greater or less than in his eyes, in his sight. And we are so, so blessed to be able to access the Father through prayer and watch him work in our lives. So that's the encouragement for today. And uh, now I want to pivot over to uh, this surprising prediction by CNN's Jeffrey Tubin. Now he's normally pretty nasty towards President Trump. And they spent this segment, uh, before you this audio that you're going to hear, they were sitting around on television, mocking President Trump because he ate omelets at an omelet bar. Now, you know, President Trump owns Mar a Lago, and when he goes down to Mar a Lago uh, for the weekend, which this weekend was a long weekend, so he spent time in Mar a Lago and he spent three consecutive days on the links golfing. Now, I'm not a golf person, and it's not, I, I don't really care if the president's hobbies were, you know, knitting or, or playing. Uh, Jamba sticks, that game where you stack up the little the little rectangles, I, it would mean nothing to me more or less than the fact that he likes to play golf. The idea that he's down there for three days on his own golf course at his own resort at his house playing golf seems to enrage liberals every time he, he goes down and does it. It's like it's the first time they found out he has his own golf course and he golfs there and they always get mad. So this was no different, only this time they found that instead of, so for dinner they have this big huge buffet, which is also always steak and seafood and a bunch of other stuff. So it's like the biggest buffet you've ever seen, only instead of it being gross and disgusting, it's fantastic because it's all gourmet stuff and it is very expensive to go there. And of course you have to be a member of the club to get in or be a guest. So the media will always ask what's on the menu for tonight and then they send it out on the press list and I'm on the press list, I read it and then later I'll see stories and Reporters on Twitter tweeting about different horrible things about the president because of what he's eating. They mock him when he eats burgers and fries. They mock him when he eats steak and lobster. So the omelet bar was no different. He's just down there eating omelets, um, which I, I got to say, we like omelets, too. And we're, we don't own any golf resorts. We're just regular people. But we like to eat eggs and we like to eat omelets. And I make a really mean breakfast casserole. Like when I say mean, I mean, it's meanly delicious. And I have a number of different recipes that I've tried out, and I even have one that I've kind of made my own. I put my own stamp on it, and the kids love it. My husband loves it. For, for Before we leave for church on Sunday, you get a couple of pieces of it. It's baked in a pan like a lasagna dish, and then you cut it into rectangles, and you can literally just eat it on the go. And so it it's kind of funny to me that they would make fun of him for eating omelets, um, because omelets are made of eggs and everyone in America eats eggs unless they have an egg allergy, like, or, or unless they're vegans. So it's it's weird, but that's what they were doing. But then they start talking about this, uh, the National Emergency Declaration. And they started to kind of, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And Jeffrey Tubin is an analyst for CNN and he often provides, you know, I think this, you know, predictions, prognostications, et cetera. So here he is, he's talking about What he thinks is going to happen with the court cases that have now been filed to stop the president from using this money, it's number three.
0: There will certainly be some judges who say, look, it is the executive branch's decision how to define an emergency. They will certainly come with arguments that say this is an emergency. And some judges will say, we just are not going to second guess uh, the executive branch in this area. Whether that's five Supreme Court justices, I don't know. My guess is it probably is. I think we are now in a moment, a conservative moment in our courts, where there is a lot of deference to the executive branch. So I think, you know, it, it, it's, I, this is not a slam dunk for either side, this legal case. But if I had to guess, I would say the president is ultimately gonna win.
4: Now, if you're sitting there kind of like, huh, what did he just say? He said it, he thinks that the president is going to win, that eventually this case is going to go in his favor. I tend to agree with him, not because the court is having a conservative moment. Um, that is just that that is just rhetoric. It's not about the, conser- the, the court having a conservative moment. It's about um, the fact that if the president thought he couldn't prevail in court, he wouldn't have declared the national emergency. So I, I make it much simpler in my mind. I see the president with his advisors and with individuals who regularly do these types of things, see the court cases, people who know the history, and I see him as having had a number of meetings and asking people to do research and to really turn the issue over. If I make a national emergency declaration, what must I satisfy before I actually make it? If I make a national emergency declaration or if I plan to do it, what things would be allowed and what things would be off limits? If you read the text of the national emergency declaration you'll see that the president actually goes to great lengths to point to other times in the history of this country recent history where presidents have used national emergency declarations to accomplish similar tasks. He lays out the case for the uh, the the emergency being real and actionable and costing American lives and dollars. And so the it yes, we now have a 5-4 majority on the court, which we, we've actually, we've had that for decades. Anthony Kennedy was a conservative justice. So the idea that all of a sudden this is something new, it's just that we now have five conservatives on there who are more likely to behave in conservative ways. The real test, the real test is going to come if this goes to the Supreme Court, which we are all pretty sure that it will. When it gets there, if uh, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is still there and the makeup of the court is as it is today, the real test will be what does justice Roberts do? Does he succumb to the pressure or does he, um, does he stick with his stated beliefs and, and ride with the conservative wing of the court? I think it's kind of interesting also that, Obviously, I'm happy to see Ruth Bader Ginsburg back on the court. You might be thinking, what? What would you just say? I, I don't ever wish ill, like physical harm, physical maladies, all that stuff. You know, you can have someone and disagree with them politically, but to want to see them dead is, you know, that's a bridge too far. So only God numbers our days. Only God has a specific timing, knowing the the day and the hour that we are to leave this earth and go on into eternity. And so it's not for me to judge. I I did speculate uh, openly as to whether or not she was really as healthy as they said because we hadn't seen any images of her and they weren't doing the regular updates. And that might be because her, her you know, public relations people said, look, don't stop giving regular updates on, on her like she's, you know, at death's door. She's fine. She's she's recuperating. Let's let her recuperate in peace. That might be the reason why we saw those stop. I was speculating then. I was like, uh You know, who knows where she really is or what she's really doing? Is she still with us? But now that we know that she is and she's fine and she's back at the court, more power to her. At some point, she will retire. And at that point, President Trump will put in a conservative replacement. And that will take away um, this desire by Justice Roberts to be some kind of kingmaker or to exercise power by swinging back and forth. I'm so excited to see that happen because I think he, I don't think, Justice Roberts really has considered how many Americans have looked up to him and respected him as a conservative jurist. And to see him begin to behave as Anthony Kennedy did would be a real blow to his legacy. And so perhaps the way to rescue him from doing that to himself is once Ruth Bader Ginsburg is off the court and another conservative is there, then it really wouldn't matter if he votes with the group or not because hopefully the group would vote together, making his sixth vote um, you know, kind of like icing on the cake. As the chief justice, he gets to decide who writes the opinions. And that's a powerful position. But maybe it's just been too much for him being overshadowed by Kennedy all these decades. Like it's just seems like he wants to do the same thing now. And I don't know why. I don't know why he would side with people who are con- continually trying to rewrite the Constitution and adjust our laws to suit their whims instead of, you know, hewing to Blind justice and equal under the law, and, and everything that the founders were really hoping to see this country walk into. Uh, so pretty, pretty crazy. Up next, we're going to have Seton Motley. He's the founder of Less Government, and we're also, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing the the tax changes. We also have some audio from Stephen Miller de- defending the president's decision to declare a national emergency. I love it when he comes on, uh, you know, on the shows, and and we can get audio from him because he's so astute he's an expert on this subject and he knows it coming and going and it's really great um also we're, today we're going to talk about this man pulling a gun on a couple who were wearing maga hats in the sam's club he pulled a gun on him told them it was a good day to die and we're also going to talk about the democrats having no response to the trump agenda so full show for today keep it here
1: 80 percent of the time an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life here's the story of candace
3: the sonogram sealed the deal
1: for
4: me my baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope and i saw his heart beating on the screen and knowing that there's life growing inside i mean that sonogram changed my life i went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts.
3: You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love.
1: There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life.
0: Hi, I'm Crawford Luritz with a Legacy Moment. Not long ago, I had a conversation with a mother whose daughter has made a series of poor choices. The problem is she refuses to own the responsibility for those choices. She's now experiencing the full consequences of what she has done. But she continues to blame everyone else except herself. And she refuses to do what must be done in order to experience lasting change. Have you heard that before? Well, we all have. We have become a culture of whiners. We're singing in unison that somebody done me wrong song. But on the contrary, choice is the prerequisite to change. Let me say that again. Choice, decision is the prerequisite to change. Am I going to let my life circumstances control me? I have a decision to make. That was the message of God in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15, and then down in verses 19 and 20. Listen to these words. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Then the last part of verse 19. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. God is driving his people to make a decision. He says, decide what you're going to do and how you're going to live. Your choices do affect your future and blessings follow right choices. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. We all are responsible for where we are today and what we do with our lives. The key word is choice. Let's
3: choose life. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, of Moody Global Ministries. Welcome
0: back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban
3: Family Talk.
4: Fantastic to be with you today. Find out more about what we do at urbanfamilytalk.com and afr.net. Uh, we are so excited to have our next guest. He frequently joins the program to talk about his work over at lessgovernment.org. And Seton is uh, he's an expert in this area. And I'm so glad that he writes about these things so that we can, have, uh, we can have fantastic chats about them and learn more. Seton, thank you for joining the show today.
5: Thank you very much, Miss. How are you?
4: I'm pretty good. i, I look. look. I'm so sick of this argument, but it needs to be made over and over again because I, this was just the other day. Someone that I know well, who is politically astute and really, really like, you know, tip of the tip of the spear with with information actually said, wait a minute. We don't like net neutrality. Said this to me like in person. I was like, well, what? Hey, we, we no, we don't what? want. Yeah. So what are you talking about? So we need you to keep beating this drum and we got to keep talking about it.
5: Yeah, well, first of all, you know, you've know, you got, a, uh, I think, close to, I think it's a perfect overlay. I think there's 16 states, the same 16 states that just sued Trump about the national emergency declaration are suing Trump about undoing Barack Obama's power grab. Now, there's, there's two parallel tracks you got to keep in mind. There's net neutrality, which was originally nebulous, and there were actually four principles that were agreed to in bipartisan fashion back in 2005, and it was ISPs, and service providers, who were like Comcast and Verizon and AT&T and all these companies, they won't block you if you want to go somewhere. They won't, you know, they're, they're innocuous, and the free market takes care of all these principles because, you know, they're in the customer service business. You're going to block people from going places they want to go. Uh, then you're not going to be in business very long. And the, the, the most virulent, pro net neutrality person begrudgingly admits the ISPs never block anybody. You know, for example, I don't know, six or seven years ago, uh, uh, NBC and Comcast merged. And if if the pro-dent people were to be believed, Comcast would be blocking people from getting to CBS.com and ABC.com because, of course, they want you to go to NBC.com. Well, of course, Comcast isn't doing that. No, no ISPs are doing that. And and of course, I love the I love the dichotomy. The big tech companies who are six, seven, and eight times as large as Comcast and Verizon, Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, they've been pushing for net neutrality. Twitter, uh, which is a smaller company, but they're pretty they're very pro net neutrality. It doesn't apply to them, which is good for them because they block people all the time. Google and YouTube block people constantly. Uh, Twitter blocks people constantly, conservatives, all the time. Uh, but net neutrality doesn't apply to them. Now, that neutrality became this ever-growing, ever-expanding thing that ultimately ended up in 2015 under Obama being what's called reclassification. When the Internet started in the 90s, uh, thanks to the Bill Clinton administration and the Republicans in Congress, they said, you know what, We're gonna, under the Communications Act, there's Title One is called an information service. It's very lightly regulated. They said, we don't know what the Internet is. We're going to leave it lightly regulated to see what happens. Well, as we know, it's amazing what happens to something when the government leaves it alone, and the Internet becomes this giant free speech free market vanity. Well, in 2015, the Obama administration unilaterally, without Congress, reclassified it. Uh, they went from an information service to a Title II. Communication service, which is 1930 landline phone line law, and it's very heavily regulated, and you can tax the crap out of it, like you tax the crap out of your your phone. So, of course, that was really dumb and completely unnecessary, and Trump undid it. Mm -hmm. So, when you hear net neutrality, it can be something very, you know, nebulous and, and, and unharmful, really, or it can be this giant reclassification. Well, you've, you've had Republicans for years now offering legislation, offering up you know, to codify in law the nebulous, unharmful definition of neutrality. ISPs can't block, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, the Democrats don't want that, and they never want that. That's why they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. They want this total reclassification, this giant government power grab of the Internet. So, yeah, net neutrality sounds good, but then you have to start defining terms and ask the person who says they want net neutrality, well, do you want all of this? Do you want this reclassification? Do you want these 1930 landline phone laws and taxes to be applied to the Internet? It doesn't make any sense from a technological standpoint. I mean, you know, there's the the, the, the web is a web. I mean, there's lying in multiple different directions. So to apply linear telephone law to it, just on his face, is completely absurd. But, of course, that's one of the reasons they did it. The other reason was to get their hands on it so they can start regulating it it. And so, yeah, I mean, you can beat for net neutrality, but the way it's been bastardized, you really shouldn't be under the current auspice.
4: Well, and when you say they want to tax it and regulate it, the first thing that comes to my mind is that big chunk of fees that I pay every month on my cell phone bill. That's thanks to Democrats exactly. and their taxing and regulating. And it's also on plane tickets. Like when I go and I buy a plane ticket and it says each leg is let's say 325. So that should be 650 for two legs, you know, 325 times 2. Right. But instead, the bill's 739 because I have to pay 84 dollars right. in in usage fees feet i mean they even now have if i access my frequent flyer miles through southwest they charge me a five dollar per leg what they call fee this is actually a tax that they've implemented i don't know what it's for and i can't opt out of it unless i just don't want to use my frequent flyer miles and and so it's a money grab right
5: well it's a money grab and a power grab both um the way we pay, you know, going back to the 1930s, there's a tax on our phone called the Universal Service Fund, USF. And it was originally passed as part of the, 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 the New Deal, where they wanted to connect rural people with a landline telephone line. Well, as we, it never got to be universal because it's government, government thinks that everything, it got to like, it topped out at like 94%, I think. And then, of course, it started declining rapidly because at that point cell phones had taken over and people were giving up their landline to, to just have a cell phone. So that they, instead of the tax going away, they just shoved it and said, okay, now we're going to pay for cell phones. with it." And then they shoved it again and said, okay, now we're going to, and they're talking about this, they haven't done it yet. Now they want to apply it to internet connections paid for by government. And they're still taxing your phones for that. Well, that's one of the reasons they want to shift the Internet into this regulatory regime, because if they're going to pay out of the USF fund, which, by the way, is at about 20% the tax, the USF tax, it goes up every three months automatically, and it can go up whenever three of the five commissioners at the Federal uh, Federal Communications Commission, FCC, vote to raise the tax. I mean, it can be raised whenever they want it. And not to mention the three-month increment bump. And so they're going to, they, if they want to start paying for internet access out of this USF fund, in their minds, it makes perfect sense that they should be able to tax the internet to do it. And that's part of this Title II reclassification is we want to get, we want to get, we want to get our hands in the wallets of internet uh, customers, not just. Uh, Landline telephone customers and cell phone
4: customers. So, what do we do? Like when, when I when I'm listening to you say that, I I do feel pretty powerless. It's the same way I feel when I'm at the airport and I'm forced to listen to CNN. It's like here's something that I hate that I'm clearly paying for that I have no control over, and that is not supposed to be the way Americans feel. As Americans the constitutionally limited form of government that we're always touting and talking about how wonderful it is, is supposed to provide us a mechanism by which we can escape these types of forced interactions. But it looks like that's not exactly the case.
5: Well, yeah, they, the, the legislature, you know, there's three, obviously three branches of government unless you're out of the Warren. where he says there's two, but there's three branches of government. The, the judicial, which is the judges and the courts, and then the executive, which is the president and his administration, and the legislative. Well, the legislative has spent the last half century plus, because they're most directly re- re- uh, responsible to the people. They've been outsourcing their power and their responsibility to unelected judges and unelected bureaucrats in the executive branch, because that way they can say to their constituents, "Well, we don't really have any control over you know it's over there. You got to go yell at them. Well, you can't yell at them. They're not elected." Um, and that's why they, they're outsourcing, unconstitutionally outsourcing their responsibilities to these unelected people, so then they can run run for re-election and say, "Well, we we have no control over that. We're sorry. That's that's them over there." And and yes, the uh, FCC has taken a lot of that power that should belong to the to the Congress, and that's why we limited government people have been saying, "Well, if you want net neutrality, you can't impose it by a three to two bureaucrat vote of unelected." at the FCC. You had to go to Congress, pass legislation, have the president sign it. Then you've got net neutrality in whatever form you can get through Congress, and 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 that's unfortunate. And and by the way, you know we've had some really awful rulings in the court when when net neutrality comes up. When we sue, when we sue to undo the Obama power grab. I mean, but when I say we, I mean you know the, the free market type, the less government type. and you get a judge who rules, you know, there's a thing at the uh, Supreme Court of Ruling called Chevron Deference. There was a lawsuit involving Chevron, and, you know, to his everlasting shame, may he rest in peace, Antonin Scalia sided with the liberals and said, well, these are expert agencies, and they're the best equipped to determine how much power they have. And Uh so now there's Chevron Deference, what they call it. There's a precedent on the books that says uh, the bureaucrats can decide how much power they have. And, of course, when has ever any bureaucrat ever said, oh, I've got too much power? Hey, or take some of it back. And so that's what's happened with these giant power grabs of Net Neutrality Title II classification. is a giant power grab. And, unfortunately, when we sue, the Chevron deference thing gets in the way.
4: So, what do you need? A new precedent, or you need you need someone to yeah. You
5: need you need you need a ruling that uh, that undoes the precedent. And we're actually, it's looking like that might happen now with the new court. As bad as Roberts is in some areas, Chief Justice Roberts, he he's not been bad in this area. You know, it, it was like identifying Kennedy's you know blind spots. He'd be consistently good on something and consistently bad on others. Roberts is kind of unfortunately developing that pattern, and it looks to me like, and others, not, you know, constitutional experts, I'm not even a lawyer, um, but it, it looks to me like this is one of the areas where he actually cues and adheres to the Constitution. So we might actually get an overruling of Chevron. The Chevron ruling was, I think, mid 2000s. So we are talking about a, a 10 to 15 year precedent, and it's really grown government a lot in the last 15 years because. All the bureaucratic agencies, all the bureaucrats went, oh, hey, it's up to us. That's fantastic.
4: And, of course,
5: <laughs> they, don't have, they don't see any limits on their power.
4: Well, I think they see limits, but they also see an opportunity to ignore them. And I think one of the things that they really love is when, when an elected official gets yelled at by a bunch of constituents at a town hall and they, they, they say, well, actually, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Deep down, they know that's a lie. But the bigger deal is the bureaucrats know. As soon as it gets lobbed over to them, they're like, "Well, we're unaccountable because you really can't get rid of us. We protect each other. We have well, you know, you know
5: it's it's funny. Yeah. The last when, when when the Trump administration overturned the Obama power grab, the, these these bureaucratic agencies have these comment periods where the public can weigh in before the bureaucracies act. And is, I never participated in them. You're not supposed to comment the bureaucrats. You're supposed to lobby Congress. You're elected official, <laughs> and this is just—you're playing into this notion that the that these unelected bureaucrats are legislators, and they're not. And the funny part is, like this last comment period, there were a bunch of the number one suffix email address was was a porn website as far as filing comments in this comment period, and they're claiming a bunch of Russians television, these comment periods are relevant. Because what happens is, whoever's in charge, the bureaucracy, you know, it's five commissioners, three of the president's party, two of the other. And they have a comment period. And if the comments are with them, they praise the comment period and thank the (laughs) public for weighing in and do what they were going to do. And then if the comments
4: legislature where it belongs. Yeah, you, you're perfectly encapsulated that. I'm just thinking of what would happen if, if Americans had just, it, what you're talking about. If, first of all, if congressional members had to actually do their jobs the way they were constitutionally mandated to do, the way that they're supposed to do them, And be held accountable by voters, we would see much more serious people running for Congress, and these nincompoops would not run and get elected because they wouldn't be able to to do the job.
5: Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Look, there's a, there's a, to me, one of the key components that's really screwed things up is gerrymandering. I think undoing gerrymandering is exponentially more important than term limits. Because, okay, we say we have term limits, all you're going to do is elect a 40 year younger, Nancy Pelosi in that ridiculous district of hers, right? I mean, it's it's the same ideology. It's just a different person. Um, You know, but we spent the last 40 years, you know, 400 of the 435 congressional seats aren't competitive in the general election. And so we make them 60, 70 percent partisan districts. And then we look at these 20 years later and go, see, why is it more partisan than it was? Because Mm -hmm. you brought it that way. And, and the old song about gerrymandering is, it's not us, it's them, it's us. Them, it's well, you know
4: what, Seton, you're fantastic. And thank you so much for joining the show today and point. for your okay. expertise. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for what you do. Seton Motley, a founder of Less Government. I'm Stacey Washington. I'll be back in a minute. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment.
2: Former Packers head coach Mike Holmgren knew that defensive end Reggie White was a devout Christian. So, when he wanted to sign White to play for him, he called Reggie up and said, Reggie, this is God. I want you to play in Green Bay. Then he hung up the phone. It only took White six seasons in Green Bay to rack up 68 sacks and become the team's all-time leading pass rusher. While he was competing, he took the time to learn Hebrew and served as a minister at the Baptist church he attended. His uncommon tenacity on the field and his faith off the field earned him the nickname the Minister of Defense.
4: New York Times bestselling author, Tony Dungy, author of Quiet Strength and the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com.
0: Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to The Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. God has so much to give you, but your nature has to be fed. Dr. Tony Evans says too many Christians have been living on a spiritual starvation diet. Just as our physical bodies are nourished, we spiritually ought to be nourished with the Word of God the importance of scripture and other keys to spiritual growth. This week on The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans.
3: I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. House and Senate border security conferees crafted a $49 billion package for the Department of Homeland Security. Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution dictates that, quote, no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. That is, unless the White House uses what's called transfer authority. There are 12 individual spending bills. There's Account A and Account B in the DHS measure. The administration may decide it needs more money for a priority in Account B, so it wants to reprogram the money from Account A to count B. Such a maneuver is allowed, but the gambit entails a sign-off by the top members of the House and Senate Appropriations Committees. What President Trump wants to do is to go around Congress without a blessing. This tactic starts to test the constitutional limits of Article 1, Section 9, granting Congress the authority to spend money how it sees fit. Moreover, each program has supporters in Congress, and lawmakers will likely how if the president touches their programs, robbing Peter to pay Paul. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News.
0: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
4: So, uh, thank you for coming onto the radio here with us uh, on American Family Radio. I want to go to um, our audio that we have here on the show. We have tax changes that are preventing illegal aliens from stealing social security numbers and robbing taxpayers. Um, This is a subject that we discussed over and over and over again during uh, a couple of years back during tax season. And I absolutely have been just flabbergasted at how little media attention this has received. And so what I'm looking for right now is clip number one. We're going to clip number one. It's tax changes preventing illegal aliens from stealing social security numbers.
1: President Trump's tax code revision in 2017 made sweeping changes to the way the government handles taxes for American citizens and non-citizens. Before 2017, there were some major loopholes that left the door wide open for non-citizens and even illegal aliens to commit fraud and claim massive refunds, all at your expense. But thanks to President Trump and the new administration at the IRS, all that's changed and now Americans are saving tens of billions of dollars every year that used to go to illegal aliens. The problem began under President Bill Clinton in 1996 when the ITIN or Individual Taxpayer Identification Number was created. It's the alternative to a social security number and is given to non-citizens and illegal aliens so that they can file tax returns. The idea is simple. Since illegals are working here anyway, we may as well give them a way to pay their taxes. And according to the IRS, as of 2015, some 4.4 million non-citizens did just that. But there are several problems with the system, all of which come down to the IRS not taking responsibility for the people using these numbers to file their taxes. Current conservative estimates show there are at least 25 million illegal aliens in the U.S. But the IRS shows that just over four million are paying taxes, so that's over 20 million people who are getting paid under the table and aren't contributing their fair share to the system.
4: So what we're talking about is a, this is a not not one a one-time one-off. It's not a tiny amount of money. We're talking about millions of illegal aliens, 4.2 million. Using our U.S. tax code and their ITN numbers, so these are tax numbers for people who are in the country illegally, there there are far more than that here illegally, tons, millions and millions, tens of millions more who are not paying taxes, but the ones who are paying taxes are they're basically saying, sure, I'll pay you some tax. You're going to give me a big, huge refund. I have 20 cousins in Mexico. They're all my kids, so $1,000 a pop, and they get a tax refund of $20,000 or more because they often have three, four, five children here in the U.S. Now, contrast that with what we've seen with a lot of people who are uh, they are constantly complaining about being audited, specifically President Trump. He's been audited every year for, I think he said, the past 12 years. And what we've seen over and over and over again is that the president has just been inundated with these insinuations that he's doing things illegally he's not doing things illegally he's he's definitely not having um, a, a, a I mean where's the proof if he was doing tax evasion or some kind of fraud and the IRS has been looking at him for 12 years straight if they could find anything wouldn't they have already prosecuted him so we know there's nothing there. So they're, while they're paying attention to Donald Trump and they have hundreds of people auditing his tax returns year after year after year, and yes, it takes a lot of people to audit a huge multinational corporation and the personal private business interests of the head of that company, and the tertiary audits that go out for people who are in management in the company, everybody over there is being looked at with a fine tooth comb year after year after year, and then you have these illegal aliens. Who it, which, Shouldn't it raise a red flag that you're getting a $25,000 refund? because you have 25 kids, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. And I know that some people can get huge refunds. If you, if you do it in a way that makes that possible, then you can get huge refunds. If you're in a business where you're taking a net loss every year, you can get huge refunds because you're losing money on your business. So all during the year, you're like a popper. And then at the end of the year, when the tax refund hits, you have money in your pocket because you've lost money in your business all year. So it's not really, it's not that great. And everyone who works in the field of economics will tell you personal finance, whatever. If you're getting a big, huge refund at the end of the year, it means you're paying too much in tax every month. Um, look, I, I, I completely understand. I know that there's a, there's a, there's it's people want to make this about whether or not, like I had someone email me just a little bit ago. Um, And and I believe he's a hater, so you know, take this for what it will, but for what you will. But he is saying we I I advocated for us giving money to kids in India, but I don't think we should give money, um, tax money to illegal aliens. What kind of warped thinking is that? First of all, the money that was given to the kids with India partners, the kids in Mumbai, India, that was all volunteer donations. So anyone who wanted to give could, anyone who didn't want to give didn't have to. And people responded, and we had an amazing you know, response from the audience here, but it was all voluntary. No one was forced to give to the kids in India. The kids here in the United States, who, or, or the ones in Mexico whose parents are here in the United States and are claiming them illegally, they're not here, but they're claiming them, those kids, should, they're not entitled to American tax dollars. That's just not it. Um, so I, I, I don't get the thinking there. And I don't get what's happening with um, this. It's like the president's done something amazing. He's actually said, I see tax fraud going on here. He puts a new head in at the IRS. He stops the people from being able to make these claims. It saves taxpayer dollars. It also stops illegal aliens from having a motivation for stealing Americans' tax ID numbers, so they steal Social Security numbers so they can access our tax system. This reduces the amount of illegal aliens who would want to do that because the draw of getting that extra money is not there. Why wouldn't people be extremely excited about this? So, again, you can call in. This is the segment that we take calls. We really are excited to speak to you. 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Let's listen to number two, illegals claiming refunds for the kids who are living in Mexico.
1: Federal law prohibits the IRS from sharing the identities of these unauthorized aliens, meaning immigration services can't deport them. So the government will issue them tax refunds and let them work here illegally, but actively prevent immigration agents from removing them. And it gets worse. Under President Obama, these illegals were claiming billions of dollars in refunds every single year for children that didn't even live in the United States. That's right, illegal aliens working in the U.S. found a loophole in the IRS allowing them to take advantage of what's called the Additional Child Tax Credit. That means for every child they claimed on their taxes, they'd get $1,000 back from the IRS and no questions asked. So that's exactly what they did with many illegals claiming 5, 10, or even 20 children under a single roof, getting back $30,000 or more for children who lived in Mexico.
4: So this is, again, the point to what we see the president doing right now. Um, A lot of what is being said about the president is that he is somehow, um, he's a part of the problem, he's, 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 He's a racist. He's So these are all distractions. When you hear people making these personal comments about him, his skin tone, his weight, the fact that he likes McDonald's, when you hear people talking about that stuff, just think about this one story and think about the other stories that we've shared on this show. We have been consistent in pointing out when we don't like something that the president has done or said and when we see stuff that he's doing that we are absolutely on board with. And for the most part, he gets high marks from me for rising above the fray in the actual Action items, because I, I, I could care less about what the president tweets when he tweets things that I like. I'm like, oh, and, and I might retweet it. I read them. But it's the, the, the Twitter feed is not the main deal. The main deal is when you are sitting down and you're calculating how much tax do we owe this year? okay, this is how much we owe, this is how much we've paid in, this is how much we're getting back because these are all the things that we can claim that make our tax, that reduce our tax burden. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be taking advantage of every single opportunity to reduce your tax burden. And when you're doing that and you look at that final number and you're owed a refund or you've already paid enough in or like what I do is I just look and see how much did we pay total? And I think about whether or not that to me is what I've gotten from the government, what I've gotten from our local state government, What am I getting in exchange for that enormous amount of tax dollars? Pardon me. And so when I think about that, then to me, I'm like, well, okay, I know there's fraud, waste, and abuse, and I know that some of this money went to uh, Planned Parenthood. And so I'm, I'm never satisfied with the number because in my opinion, as long as they're funding Planned Parenthood, I shouldn't have to pay anything. Yes, I'm going to drive on the roads, I'm going to use the bridges. Yes, I expect the homeland to be defended. I expect the US armed forces to be up and running at 100%, but planned parenthood should not be funded with taxpayer dollars. And illegal aliens should not be able to receive tax refunds for kids that aren't even in America. And that's what President Trump has just put a stop to. And so if if there's something that you need like you're thinking, well, I don't like, you know, I don't like that bill he just signed for the 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 you know, to to keep the government open. I don't like that. I like that he signed the emergency declaration, but I don't like that bill. Well, here's something to kind of balance that out for you. Tax season's coming up. And we as Americans have, we have a lot to be thankful for, certainly, but we also have a lot to be extraordinarily ticked off about. I mean, let's be real here. Think of all the money we've lost, multiple billions of dollars, perhaps even a trillion dollars. We'll never know. The IRS will never tally it up and let us know. Because we're not entitled to that information. The IRS just wants to make sure Americans are paying. But they don't want to share the information about the deportations or the – they don't want to share the information about the tax fraud with ICE because then that would encourage deportations. And the IRS doesn't think that that's something that they should be involved in. But who cares what they think? And that's something else I hope the president will fix. Let's go to the phones. Evan in Kansas. Also, if you want to join the show, 866-963-2037, 866 866-963- 963 Two zero three seven. Evan, thank you for calling the show. Hello. Hi. Thanks for calling in. Thank you so much for taking my call.
2: Um, as a social worker in the state of Kansas, I have been present when some of these families that file taxes naming their cousins and their nieces that are not living with them but I can't question that. I have seen to where they use somebody else's social security number. I have had clients from California, Tennessee, other states that come in and file their taxes. One particular one that just saw me, she had about $4,600 back on her income tax. They just saw me. And I knew, Stacey, I knew that she was using somebody else's Social Security number. So what you're saying, this is correct. But I, I applaud President Trump for doing this.
4: Well, and you know what? So you're you're sharing that with us. It's it makes it very real. But you know what, Evan? You're probably one of tens of thousands of social workers across the country who you've had to watch as your own taxpayer dollars are wasted on these types of these types of fraud. And I really I thank you for calling the show. And I also I thank you for the work that you do. Social work is, is like the hardest work and the worst paid. Um, so you really have to be loving the people and loving taking care of people to, to work in that, in that area. Thank you, Evan, for what you do and, and for calling the show. Uh, Bill in Illinois, or sorry, I'm not sure if we can go to Bill yet. Kathy, thank you for calling the show today. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for calling the show. I'm not sure who we have. Okay, Kathy, yes. Kathy, thanks for calling in to Stacey on the right. Okay, I can't hear anything there. I don't think we have her. Um, we can just go to the next caller oh. who we have. In- Bill, thank you so much for calling the show today. Mm-hmm. Hi, thanks for calling the show today. Um, uh- Okay, we don't have any of these people. Um, So the other thing that I think is going on with this is that if we had the news media, if they were willing to actually go into um, sharing this news. So the news clip that you heard was from One America News Now. And One America News Now does these hard-hitting news pieces. They don't have a lot of opinion over there. They just do news. And when they do these in-depth studies and they dig in to try to to reach people – what ends up happening is they're, they're really interested in, um, in, in spreading out information that doesn't get covered on mainstream media. And as much as I like Fox and Fox Business, they do tend to kind of ride at a certain level of news information and gathering. And the topics tend to be those biggest news stories of the day. They do cover taxation, obviously. Fox Business does. Um, and so does Fox News. They, they cover it. But when it comes down to the kind of reporting that you see in this piece where I just played the audio, it, it's kind of amazing that that's not everywhere. And I know in a media world where you don't like uh, President Trump, you don't want to share good news about him. But this isn't really good news about him. This is good news about Americans. This is good news for Americans. It's good news about our government. It's It's, a, it's the image of something actually working. Someone saying, I see a problem and fixing it. Isn't that something to be celebrated no matter who is in charge? I'd say yes to that. Okay. If you're on the phone lines, hold on. We'll get to you after the news and information at the top of the hour. If you're saying goodbye, God bless you from the heartland. And if you're sticking around, we'll be right back.